turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 18. Allow me to read uh, from verse 12 through 27. We are approaching the end. We're in the last couple of chapters of John's gospel. And uh, Jesus has been arrested. If you were here last week, he's uh, arrested. And now uh, we're moving toward crucifixion. So let's pick up the story in chapter 18, verse 12. It says, Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, and so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped at Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong, but if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at your word, and as we consider the, the lengths to which you were willing to go to pay the price for our sins, subjecting yourself to abandonment and betrayal by your closest followers, subjecting yourself to the unjust judgments of sinful men, Jesus, as we think about these things, I pray that our appreciation of your sacrifice, our appreciation of the cross, would increase greatly today. And as we think about what it means to be faithful witnesses, as we think about what it means to, to respond to your love and to your commandments by obediently making you known to the world, I pray that you would empower us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make a couple observations from this text. And I also want to use this uh, text um, to, to talk about, well, we're going to look at the bigger picture. That, that's probably the best way of saying it. We're going to move from this text to the developments in, in Jesus' relationship with the disciples who have now 
let him down at, at the very least, and many who have just flat out betrayed him and denied him, including Peter. And we're going we're gonna to see how Jesus moves them from that situation into the situation that he calls us to today. But let's first look at this story a little bit more closely. If you have the handout, go ahead and get it out. Let's fill in some blanks together. The first thing you'll see on the handout is this. Peter's denials prove our need for a savior. His denials prove our need for a savior. Prior to to Peter coming to this point to where he denies Jesus, you can remember his his bold affirmation that he was willing to die for Jesus. That he was willing to go the distance in order to show his allegiance to Jesus. You and I perhaps have at times in, in boldness declared that we would do anything that Jesus asked us to do. And just as Peter failed to follow through on that, so you and I have often failed to follow through on our, on our boldest commitments to serve Jesus. It says in verse 17, Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? <clears throat> I am not, he said. Now the servants and officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Peter, who who was ready to die for Jesus, has now, for all intents and purposes, completely switched sides. Here's Jesus, nowhere near a fire to keep himself warm, on trial. Here is Jesus being falsely accused. And Peter should be right there with him. Peter should be standing up for his friend. Instead, he's found a nice, cozy place to hang out with Jesus' enemies. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Now... It's a good reminder that, that, that Peter did have his moments. A little bit earlier, uh, if you are here last week, you heard Marty describe the scene there in the garden when you had all of these soldiers out to get Jesus. And Peter in that moment was ready to fight for Jesus. And he cut off, he pulled out his sword, he cut off the guard's ear. And now a relative of that man says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again immediately, a rooster crowed. Of course, this is a reference back to Jesus at the Last Supper. Tells Peter, after Peter says, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll do, I'll do anything to, to show my allegiance to you. And, and Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. All of this happens right in front of Jesus. The scene, the scene that, that, that you, you have to imagine here is, is Jesus having been unjustly arrested and falsely accused is, is being put on trial and he's asked, he's asked to provide witnesses. Well, good, good, the good news is Jesus has witnesses. He has at least 11 men 
who are ready to testify and to die for him. Peter being one of them. Peter perhaps being chief among them. But instead of standing up and witnessing and testifying for Jesus, he denies that he even knew him. Listen to what Luke 22 adds to this story in verses uh, 61 and 62 of Luke's gospel and his account of this scene. It says that when this happened, uh, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Man, it would have been bad enough to, to fail Jesus in such a terrible way outside of the presence of Jesus. To be, to be kind of off somewhere else and to Jesus for Jesus to not know this is happening would have been bad enough. But this is right in front of Jesus. After Peter denies Jesus the third time, it says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus is on trial looking for somebody to witness to the truth of what he is saying and instead Peter is in front of him denying him. There's no it's no wonder that that Peter has gone out and wept bitterly. All of this just proves though our need for a savior. It proves that this is this is uh, support for what Jesus is actually doing at this time. This is the way Isaiah prophesied it would happen in Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus goes to the cross, says he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sicknesses. And he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You know, we have the perspective of our sins were paid for by Jesus 2,000 years ago. In Peter's case, his sins, he's, he's committing his sins and Jesus is paying for them at the exact same time. They're, happen they're happening simultaneously to one another. Peter is actually committing present sin at the time that Jesus is, is beginning to suffer and to pay the price for his sins. I don't know if anybody has a more accurate and intimate experience with Jesus' atonement than Peter. It's one thing to, to know, you know, as, as believers, you know, even Greg was just talking about this. He knows we still sin. Like, we're not perfect just because Jesus saved us. Sin doesn't go away. Sin's presence remains. His power has been broken, but its presence remains. And we, we continue to sin. 
And, and we know that Jesus has already paid for those sins. And we, we fall on that mercy and we fall on that grace. Peter is, is committing sin and he does, has no understanding of what Jesus is doing at this time. But it's not just Peter it's not just Peter whose sins are being paid for, and it's not just Peter who needs a Savior. It's all of us. That's why verse 6 of Isaiah 53 says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. I mean, think about that in terms of Peter's denial of Jesus. Here he, here he is. He started out the night pretty good. He was ready to ride for Jesus, but now... He's, he's denied him. He's went astray. He's turned to his own way. So what's going to happen to Peter? He should be punished for his sins. He should, he should have to pay the price for what he's done. He has turned his back on Jesus. If there's anything, un, if there's anything in, in human existence that deserves to be punished more than rejecting the Son of God and turning and betraying Him. I don't know what it is. Peter deserves punishment. Peter, if you're willing to accept it, deserves to die. He should be the one on trial. He's the guilty one. He's the one who has failed. He should be the one who's arrested in a few hours crucified he should be the one to pay for his sins and yet jesus goes to the cross for peter the next thing on the handout you'll see is that jesus faithfully witnesses to the truth even when we fail jesus faithfully witnesses to the truth even when we fail the good, news, the good news in the gospel is that we don't have to be Jesus. We don't have to be our own savior. The good news in the gospel is that God knew that we were incapable of being who he calls us and requires us to be. That's why he sent his son to be the savior for us. And so we see every, it's not just Jesus that's on trial, but his whole band of followers are on trial. Yes, they've not been arrested and taken before the high priest, but they're, they're being asked the, the questions. Are you one of his disciples too? With the obvious implication that if you're with this man, then we're going to arrest you and put you up there on trial with him. Everyone here is on trial. And Jesus is the only one to faithfully witness to the truth. We needed a savior and God provided one in his son, Jesus. Verse 19, I'm in John 18, still our, our main passage today. Verse 19, it's, here's, here's how the story unfolds. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. He's questioning Jesus about his disciples. They're part of the conversation that's going on. The men who have fleed, who, who, who have fled, who have scattered, who have abandoned Jesus. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And then Jesus responds this way, I've spoken openly to the world. 
I have always taught in the synagogue in the temple where all the Jews gather, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. And I take this to mean he, there's nothing he's said secretly that he hasn't said openly as well. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. Who's Jesus talking about? His disciples. Amongst others, there were probably people there who, uh, who are on the, the chief uh, the, the high priest's side of, of, of this trial who have heard as well. But Jesus has, he has followers. He has disciples who have been with him this whole time. He has Peter. Ask Peter. And Peter's just right there. What's Jesus saying? Ask my followers. Ask my disciples. Ask Peter. He knows what I said. And what's happening with Peter? Does Peter, does Peter step away from the nice, warm, cozy fire and say, I guess it's my turn to take the stand? I'm here to testify on Jesus' behalf. I, I'm here to speak the truth. I'm, I'm here to stand next to him and to faithfully witness to the truth. No. He's over there denying that he even knew Jesus. The irony here, <clears throat> the irony is that Jesus is faithfully witnessing to the truth. You even have, if you even have this, this man Caiaphas, who's a part of this whole ordeal, who has previously witnessed to the truth. We'll get to that in a second. And the people who ought to be most eager to witness to the truth about Jesus have completely denied they even know him. When he said these things, verse 22, when he, said, when he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. He slapped Jesus. There has never been an instance in human history where somebody was speaking more truthfully than Jesus in this moment. Because he is truth. He constantly speaks the truth. And here you have sinful, this sinful man who takes it upon himself to abuse Jesus, to slap him. He says, is this the way you answer the high priest? Jesus can talk to the high priest any way he wants to. He's the creator of the universe. You see the injustice taking place here. Do you see how backwards everything is in this scenario, except for one thing? Jesus faithfully witnessing to the truth. Everyone else has it wrong. Peter's got it wrong. The, the Jews have it wrong. This guard who slaps Jesus has it wrong. Everybody's got it wrong except for Jesus. He faithfully witnesses to the truth. Here's Caiaphas. If you go back to verse 14, 
Well, actually, let me, this won't be on the screen, just 14 will be, but let me read 12 and 13 again. This is how the scene opens. The company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Okay, so the high priest, he's, he's the leader of, of the Jews, okay? Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. This goes back to, I'm going to just jump back to John chapter 11. I'm going to look at verse 47. Again, it won't be on the, on the screen, so just listen as I read. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing so many signs? So the, the law of the land has gotten together. And they're deciding what to do with Jesus. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. This is the way it worked under the Roman government. If the Jews were given a, a little bit of freedom to sort of govern and to manage themselves, but if, if they let things get out of control, the Romans didn't like that. And so they would send in Roman authorities and they would take back control. And so the Jewish leaders don't want to lose the power that they have. But then in, in verse 49, it says, One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. So here's Caiaphas. What he's, what he's intending to say is, let's just kill Jesus so before we all get in trouble. Before we all you know, experience the wrath of the Roman Empire. It's better for Jesus to die so that the, the nation doesn't experience that wrath. But he, he, he unknowingly is prophesying that that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to die so that many others might live. Caiaphas, who is obviously completely opposed to Jesus, right? he's going to play a huge role here in Jesus' Jesus' crucifixion. Caiaphas comes closer to faithfully witnessing to the truth than to Peter and Jesus' own disciples. That's how bad it's gotten. That's how far they've fallen. They've, they've completely failed. This is proof of our need for a Savior. And it's also evidence that our Savior is faithful even when we're not. He, he, wouldn't, he would never cease to be faithful. If you, I'm going to just turn real quick to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Oops, that's 1 Timothy. Paul says, This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The truth has come into the world, and the truth will not deny himself. He remains faithful. 
So, where does that leave us? Where does, where does that leave Jesus' followers in the immediate context, Peter and the other disciples? But beyond that, where are we at in this story? If, if Jesus calls on those who would come after him and those who would follow him to be faithful witnesses, and yet they, and, and, and I would include us, so, so eagerly fail to be his faithful witnesses, and yet he remains faithful regardless, where does that leave us today? Well, fortunately, this story doesn't end with Peter in denial. The good news is, is that we continue, as we continue to read the New Testament, and we'll get to some of this even in the Gospel of John. By the end of the Gospel of John, in fact, the Gospel of John ends in with this beautiful restoration scene between Jesus and Peter. But that's not for today. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. I'll, I'll preach that, that passage later, or somebody will, whether it's me or, or somebody else. We'll look at that passage. But I want to jump even a little bit further ahead because I want to bring this home to us. Because we're not, we're not capable of being our own Savior. We need a Savior And Jesus is that Savior, and he is a faithful witness. So if we look ahead, and we actually go to Acts chapter 1, and Acts is, is, okay, so you have the four Gospels, just real quick to make sure we're all on the same page. You have the four Gospels, and there are four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, right? And they're all told from a different perspective, but tell the same story. And then they, have, they each have you know, different elements and, and kind of their own unique flavor as you, as you look at the four different Gospels. But immediately after the four Gospels in the New Testament is the book of Acts. And that's actually chronological. After, after Jesus' earthly life and ministry, the, the book of Acts, uh, sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles, is, is a historical account of what these men who had, where we're at in the Gospel of John, actually denied and, and deserted Jesus, what these men would go on to do by the power of the Holy Spirit for the Gospel. The good news is, is that we don't remain as faithless, uh, faithless deniers or betrayers, that Jesus actually empowers his people, the same people, to become faithful witnesses for him. Next thing you see on the handout is this, that Jesus empowers us to be his witnesses through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He takes flawed and undependable men and women, empowers them with his Holy Spirit, and makes them his witnesses. Okay, I've made a huge leap now for the sake of, uh, of where we're going today. I've made a huge leap from that scene of Jesus' arrest and the denial by Peter and the other disciples to them being empowered by the Holy Spirit and being witnesses to us today. Because I, I want to, to, to get practical with this. I want to get to the point where where we're at in this story. So Jesus empowers us to be his witnesses through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, 
Let me give you a little, let me just read a little bit of context here. So after, after Jesus' death, burial, and then on the third day, his resurrection, he spends the next 40 days making appearances, actually in the flesh, in his resurrected body, making appearances to his disciples. But after those 40 days, he ascends into heaven and he, is, he has been there ever since. He does not walk among us for the past 2,000 years. He has not walked among us in the same way that he did during his earthly life and ministry. But before he does that, this is what happens in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, which, he, which he said, you have heard me speak about. That was the upper room discourse. Remember those, those couple of chapters right before Jesus' arrest where he's continually promising them the Holy Spirit. He's passing on the baton of ministry to them. He says, you're going to carry out the rest of this ministry. So he says, you've heard me speak about, for verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? You remember, this was their expectation, that Jesus came to restore the kingdom of Israel, to overthrow the Romans and to, to make it, establish Israel as a sovereign nation again. So they asked him, is this the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's taken this group of faithless betrayers and deniers, having restored them. This was, I mean, that, that did not, that did not, for Jesus's plan. That was his plan all along. And so now he restores them into the ministry that he's called them into. The same, the same commission that he was giving them before he was arrested in the upper room discourse, he now follows back up on here in, in Acts 1. And he says, now it's time. You'll receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what they did. That's what the rest of the book of Acts is about. You can read 28 chapters of them being witnesses in Jerusalem. And they, they were really happy to be witnesses in Jerusalem. In fact, uh, many of Jesus' disciples and followers actually lived outside of Jerusalem. But they came together in Jerusalem for the Passover. And God was doing such incredible things after the Holy Spirit came upon them that they didn't want to go home. They actually stayed there in Jerusalem. Uh, but Jesus' plan was that they go out and be witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria, which is the surrounding area, the region that they lived in. And not just there, but to the ends of the earth. And he, his means of getting them to the out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth was persecution. He actually broke up their holy huddle and said, no, I told you guys to go. I told you to go, and so I'm going to make it so that you must go. He does that. Okay, so 
That's been happening for the last 2,000 years. But here you are in 2022 in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania, and wherever you live in this surrounding area, and you've decided to, to call Redemption Church your home, where do we fit into this? Well, we have the same commission that they did. The last thing you'll see on the handout is this. We must witness for him in our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have the same commission, the same calling, the same purpose. We're the same church. We're just 2,000 years later in a different location. But, but in terms of the mission and the co-mission that Jesus has given his disciples, we find ourselves with the same mission, to be his witnesses. And to be his witnesses is to, one, verbally declare or, or with words, I guess that can be verbally or that can be written or, or any way that we declare a message. Our, 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 our calling is to declare the message and to do the deeds of Jesus. Remember he said, he said to his disciples in the upper room discourse, you will do greater works than the works that I have done. Not lesser works, greater works. And of course, we talked about what that means and the, the proclamation of the gospel is ultimately a greater work than physically healing somebody uh, for temporarily healing them. To set somebody's soul free with the salvation of Jesus is certainly a greater work. To build his church is a greater work. So we've been called to greater works. So we must witness for him. You the person beside you, me, all of us. This is what we're called to, to be his witnesses. For this very reason, he's given us his Holy Spirit. If he did not give us his Holy Spirit, we would, we would just, I mean, we're a mess as it is, but we would be an even bigger mess. We would constantly fail to be his witnesses. But because he has given us the Holy Spirit, we have been empowered just as those first disciples were, to go and to be his witnesses. First in our Jerusalem. That's our immediate context. The J Jerusalem was the city that they were in. First and foremost, you must be witnesses in your Jerusalem, where you live, where you reside. But also into the greater region around us, our Judea and Samaria. But not just there to the ends of the earth until everyone has heard the gospel. So what I want to do, is I, as I promised a few weeks ago, uh, in, in the beginning of the new year, I would sort of outline for us where we're sort of focusing as we, as we start 2022. How have we, what are we doing in our Jerusalem? What are we doing in our Judea and Samaria? And what are we doing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? All right, so there'll be some slides uh, on the screen behind me. Our, Jer our Jerusalem is lower borough in the surrounding area. This is our Jerusalem, where we're at. Uh, and in our Jerusalem, we are called to live, to work, to play, to build relationships, to serve our community, to do uh, all of the good deeds that Jesus' disciples are to be known by. This is what we're called to do. And we do that in our everyday, daily living. We are his witnesses constantly want to be a reminder to us 
that as Christians, our, our main responsibility is not simply to gather together for a church service on Sunday. Our responsibility is to live as Christians 24-7. To live out our lives according to the gospel. To, to not, just, not just sort of relegate our, our faith to an hour and a half a week, but to be transformed and to be transformative in our community to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and to work through us. And so together, we're called to be witnesses here in our Jerusalem in Lower Borough. And so we, we do that first and foremost by planting a church, by starting a church with the goal and the hope of making disciples of, of all who call this their church home. But then we regularly plan ways that we as a church can be effective at being witnesses here in our Jerusalem. Last year, we pursued a building on Leechburg Road to, be, to serve as a ministry outpost. Uh, you know, just recognizing the fact that the majority of our community is not going to come to this building to hear the gospel, but that we must go into the community to share the gospel, not just as individuals, although that's, that's primary, but to do that collectively too. Uh, that building fell through, but we still have a vision of a ministry center. There are some other options on the table right now, nothing that we're pursuing uh, seriously yet, but some things that we're looking at that might open the door to do more ministry in the community and to do some things that will take the gospel. To be, you know, I was just, <clears throat> this is kind of a, maybe a, a silly story, but I was at the, the 7-Eleven BP on Toronto Bridge and Leechburg Road intersection the other day, and there was this young lady that, that waited on me. I was swapping a propane tank, and for whatever reason, it was like later in the evening, and for whatever reason, it just hit me, that girl's probably never going to come to Redemption Church. You probably never see her come through these doors. And that bothered me, and I went home, and I, and, I, and I thought about that building that we were pursuing, and I thought about the dream and the idea of doing something that just exposes people in our community to a greater witness for the gospel. And we have to keep that dream in front of us, whether it's a building or something. Now, there's a million ways we can, we can take the church to her and to those like her. But we have to be intentional and that's going to require resources. That's going to require time and commitment. And that's going to require us um, making sacrifices. We're, we're not called to a holy huddle. We're not called, hey, let's just, let's just do all the things that we want to do as Christians. Let's make this church about serving us. There's, there's things that we need to do in order to build up the body. But that building up is always to be sent out. We see this in, in the book of Acts when the believers get too comfortable. They're like, this is going really well. They had this mega church thing going. I mean, seriously, in the book of Acts, we see in one day, 3,000 people were added to their number. And that's in addition to the hundreds that were already following Jesus. And so they add 3,000. And in, in chapter 2, we hear that every day more people are adding to their number. That's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of something big. It's exciting to be a part of something that's growing. And, you know, with, with those kinds of numbers, you can do a lot of things that would meet the needs of the people in the church. 
But that's not the end of why the church exists. The church exists to go out and to meet the greatest need of the surrounding community, which is to hear the gospel and to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. So what did Jesus do? He broke up the megachurch. He sent persecution. (laughs) He sent persecution so that they would scatter. And by sending persecution, they go into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we always want to to have in mind our Jerusalem. Really, and, and not which is not just Lower Borough, but really this whole Alakiski Valley area. We've got people, we've got people that come here from Catanning and from Vandergriff and Apollo and Plum and on the other side of the river and Natrona Heights and Sarver. And we got people coming from all around. That's our Jerusalem. And that's where we should be making an impact day by day. So we must witness for him in our Jerusalem, but we also must witness for him in our Judea and Samaria. I would, I consider our Judea and Samaria, Western Pennsylvania. I, I consider that, that as, as we look about, look at what God wants us to do in places that we don't, we don't necessarily uh, live and, and work and play and have the impact every day. Uh, but we, but we do have the ability to make an impact and so we've done that through, one, through forming the Steel City Church Planting Network. Uh, the Steel City Church Planting Network exists to plant gospel-driven, Bible-centered churches here in Western PA. Uh, and, and just last year, we saw two churches launched within the Steel City Church Planting Network for the City Church in Greensburg, uh, pastored by Scott Rising and Humble Ministries here in New Kent, pastored by Jerry Jefferson. And that's why the Steel City Church Planning Network exists, to plant gospel-driven, Bible-centered churches. We need more churches in Western PA. Does that sound crazy to you? It sounds crazy to most people, because if you drive around Western PA, what do you see all over the place? Church buildings, they're everywhere. There was a day, there was a generation that thoroughly saturated Western Pennsylvania with church plants. That's what those are. Those were church plants. They haven't been here forever. Most of them came here probably about 70, 80 years ago. When, when mainline denominations were planting churches everywhere. And so you've got Methodist churches, you've got Baptist churches, you've got Presbyterian churches, you've got Lutheran churches, you've got, you got these church buildings everywhere. But guess what's happening inside of those church buildings? Far too often the church is dying. The church is withering and is no longer a life-giving witness to the gospel in their community. Not all of them, but a lot of them. A lot of them have already closed. You drive by a church building in Western Pennsylvania, you don't know if it's a church, if it's, if it's uh, like a gymnastics center, if it's a bar. You don't know what's inside of there anymore. We need new churches in Western PA. We need to plant gospel-centered, or gospel-driven Bible-centered churches. And so that's what we seek to do. We saw two churches start up last year. What's going to happen in 2022? 
We need to work towards planting churches. And so we do some things with the Steel City Church Planting Network. One, we're, we've, last year we started hosting uh, quarterly pastors luncheons where uh, we gather pastors and their ministry teams. It's not just pastors that we invite to that, but anybody on their, in ministry leadership in their church. And uh, even some, some um, parachurch organizations, uh, their leaders have been coming to those. We've been averaging 50 to 60 pastors and ministry leaders at the pastor's luncheons. Uh, those are a great way that we've been able to start building a network of churches that want to see the gospel go out into our Judea and Samaria. Also through the Steel City Church Planning Network, we do a yearly preaching workshop uh, for those who are in preaching ministry. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're hosting uh, right here at Redemption our, our first annual worship workshop. And so that'll be happening on, I think it's February 19th. And um, that's an opportunity for churches in the area to bring their, their worship teams and their tech teams and to come and just invest in those teams and build those teams up. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening with the Steel City Church Planning Network. That is our, our main uh, avenue for being witnesses in, in our Judea and Samaria here in Western Pennsylvania. You know, Western Pennsylvania is unique. You know, Yinzers are a unique breed of people, and we need Yinzers to reach other Yinzers. Uh, I see, I mean, it's not that somebody can't come in from the outside and be effective. It happens, it happens all the time, but, but a lot of times it doesn't work. I've seen different denominations and different organizations send church planners from different parts of the country, and they get here, and they just don't, under, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> not that we do, but they don't know what's going on big time. Um, so we need, we need people from Western PA to, to rise up and to plant churches here. And we'll take all the help we can get from the outside. We'll welcome in those church planters. One of my desires and hopes for the Steel City Church Planning Network is that uh, one day we'll start a ministry training uh, institute, uh, some sort of either Bible college or seminary, where we can bring people into the Steel City, train them as pastors, uh, it's, it's not a super complicated process, but it requires a lot of commitment and resources. And you see, just like last week, ordaining uh, Pastor Marty uh, as a pastor here, um, we just took him through a simple process of, of training and preparing for ministry. And so if a man has a call in his life, uh, we want to provide training. So Lord willing, someday we'll open some sort of school for that. Uh, so that's our Judea and Samaria. We will partner. We will. There are other ways that we can be witnesses in our Judea Samaria. It's not limited to the Steel City Church Planning Network, um, but that's where we've put a lot of our attention and effort and resources as of late. Then the ends of the earth. We can't just stay here. We know from the book of Acts, Jesus does not like that. <laughs> and he will send persecution. And that's not a threat. It's a promise. <laughs> it's, but it's not, it's, we shouldn't wait for persecution. He's told us to go and we need to go to the ends of the earth. And so we've been forming global partnerships that will enable us to make an impact uh, really to the ends of the earth with the gospel. We've talked a lot the last couple of months about Malawi, Africa, uh, and uh, we have a couple of pictures of, go ahead to those slides. I'm trying to remember. Okay, so these are, the, um, these are the, the villages where we're drilling the wells. 
Some of you saw in our Facebook group this week that one of those wells has already been drilled. I can't remember which one of those two villages already received their well, but uh, I'm not sure it's 100% complete, uh, but the drilling is underway. And so we got some videos and some pictures of that this past week. Really, really exciting to be bringing clean water, but it's not just clean water. We've partnered with ministries there in Malawi that essentially are using clean water as a tool, as a vessel to help bring the gospel and to bring discipleship to these communities. And so they're not just getting clean water, they're getting clean water and they're getting a lot of other things along with that uh, because clean water won't save your soul. It'll do a lot of things for you, good things, but it won't save your soul. And so uh, this year, even though we may or may not get to go and visit Malawi, Uh, We do know that we're drilling two wells uh, in the very near future, and we'll keep our eye on other opportunities there as well. Uh, In addition to the wells, there there are doors open to go and to train pastors and to train church members and to to, um, help the pastors and the leaders that are there disciple their their people. And so uh, as soon as we have the opportunity to get some boots on the ground there, We'll be going back. Mexico. Mexico is another place that we've invested a little bit. Um, This is the ministry, one of the ministries that we partner with in Mexico. And uh, this ministry is located in Juarez, where they're training pastors and church leaders through their ministry training efforts there in Juarez. And Juarez is a border town, if you're not familiar uh, with Juarez, Mexico. It's it's directly uh, across the U.S.-Mexican border from El Paso, Texas. And it has historically been a very, very difficult place. There are a lot of um, bad things that happen in Juarez. And there's a lot of people that come to Juarez trying to cross the border or cross the border somewhere else and get deported back into Juarez. And they're basically just left there homeless uh, with no resources to go anywhere. And so there's a lot of desperation. There's a lot of crime. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of great gospel need there in Juarez. And so uh, Jorge Ramirez has been a, a longtime uh, ministry partner and friend of mine. I've known Jorge for the last 20 years. And he's doing, he and his family do an incredible ministry there in Juarez. Um, but they have this same vision. They have an Acts 1-8 vision for themselves. They're not just ministering in their Jerusalem, but they're going to their Judea and Samaria which is the other parts of Mexico where the gospel needs to be heard. There are a lot of, in, uh, if, as you go into the Sierra Mountains in the middle of Mexico, there are a lot of indigenous people groups who are basically living isolated lives uh, in these villages in the mountains. And that's been Jorge's heart for decades, is to take the gospel to these villages. And so there's one such village. I'm not going to try to pronounce names or anything like that. You just make fun of me. And I'll probably like try to do it in like a Spanish accent. It'd just be weird. and It'd be a good laugh for you. But um, there's, there's a village where they're currently building a ministry center. Uh, out of which they'll do a lot of uh, material needs ministries. Um, medical care and feeding people and things like that. But they'll also uh, use that as a church and as a discipleship training center. And so um, we've financially gotten behind that a little bit, and there'll be opportunities to get behind that some more in the future to help bring about that ministry center. Jorge's been begging me for the last two years to bring a team 
to go down there and uh, to be a part of that ministry there in that village. And so um, hopefully there'll be an opportunity to do that in the near future. Uh, but that's in Mexico. A lot of good things going on there in Mexico. We also have another ministry partner in Juarez um, that's, that's working a lot with orphaned kids and feeding kids and doing discipleship ministry um, with some kids there through an Alliance church. Uh, so lots of good stuff, lots of good opportunities there. Uh, but let me move on. I want to try to wrap this up real quick. Um, and then we, we have uh, two different ministry partners that we don't name um, for the sake of this going online and for the, the security situations that they're in. We're working in Southeast Asia, one with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they're part of a lot of Bible translation projects to get the Word of God translated into languages where people don't have the Bible. We've talked about this recently, how we have incredible access to the Word of God. There are dozens, maybe a hundred or more English translations. There are dozens of English translations. You get to be picky and have preferences about which English translation. You can be, you can be an English translation snob. I don't read that translation. I read this translation. Well, there are, there are billions of people uh, who would love to have that problem, who would love to have um, too many translations in their own language. And so our, our partners there in Southeast Asia are working to get them the word of God. Uh, also through Ethnos 360, we have a ministry partner um, who's in Indonesia right now preparing to engage an unreached people group. That means a people group who do not have the gospel and um, establish gospel witness among them and also translate the word of God into their language and build a church. So um, those, are, those are the things that we're, the majority of the things that we're currently focusing on. There's always lots of other partnerships and opportunities, but I wanted to give you a picture of what it looks like for Redemption Church to be witnesses in our Jerusalem. And then furthermore into our Judea and Samaria and God willing to the ends of the earth that he would take his gospel through us to people who desperately need the hope of salvation in Jesus. My question for you is, are you with us? Are you committed to being a witness here in our Jerusalem? Will you support in any way that you can through prayer, through finances, through time and energy to be a witness in our Judea and Samaria to help us plant churches here in Western PA? And will you be a part of us going to the corners of the earth to take the gospel and to be witnesses for Jesus, perhaps in places where they've not even heard the name of Jesus? Are you in? Are you with us for 2022? Are you with us? Are you part of the long game here? Will you be a witness for Jesus with us?